0: Well, uh, we've been doing Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. I hope it's been getting emotional for you. I know in our group, it's been awesome, in our family and our friends, it's been awesome hearing the stories of people going deeper with God. And um, if you didn't get in a group for this series, make sure you're in a group regardless so that you can be working these things out with other people it makes it so much better but we're working through the content in this book which uh, if you're looking for a great book to read and to go even deeper than what we've been able to do in the in the teaching then Emotionally Healthy Discipleship by Pete Scazzaro is a great book and I want to just say before we even get into today's topic that I can't do today's chapter justice in the few minutes that we have together. You need to listen to the podcast. Even if you don't have the book, listen to the podcast. It's about an hour long uh, about the chapter we're talking about today, and uh, it will go into all of the things that I don't have time to go into today. So I really, really want to encourage you to do that. Uh, Yeah, it's been great. We've been becoming hopefully more emotionally healthy disciples. We've been learning to be before we do. That's a challenge. That was hard enough. That was just week one. Um, Follow the crucified, not the westernized Jesus. That's a good culture breaking, remolding, reframing opportunity. Then we've been embracing God's gift of limits, those annoying things called limits, restrictions. And we've been discovering the treasures buried in grief and loss. Last week we were talking about making love the measure of our maturity. That's why our number one value here at Kire is aroha, making love the measure of our maturity. And this week, the second to last week of this series, we're talking about breaking the power of the past. Ooh. Ooh. Some super spiritual people are very excited right now counselors. They're just warming up. <laughs> Send them to me. Let's start in the scriptures. Our reading today will be from Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, is what's implied. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, that's your lives, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Uh, another translation of that could say: this is your rational response, this is your reasonable response. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good. And acceptable and perfect. This is such a key scripture in the whole body of the scriptures when it comes to our transformation and our response into Christ likeness. He starts by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. What he's been doing is for 11 chapters, he's been explaining how we're all fallen from God, that we all fall short of God's glorious holy perfection. You know, God is love, absolutely, but God is holy. You know, it says that God is love twice in the Bible. It says God's holy like 398 times. Uh, So He is holy. He's other. He's perfect. And we, it, the, the, the Rome, book of Romans tells us that we fall short of that perfection and then goes on to talk about how amazing the good news of Jesus is and how it restores us and it provides a way for us to come back to Jesus and to be in his presence because of what Jesus has done for us. And it gets to this amazing moment and and it t- talks about the, the wars that rage inside of us as we're on this journey. And then it has this amazing moment in Romans 8 where it talks about, but we're more than conquerors. in Jesus Christ, and there's nothing that can separate us from his love. And it's been talking about how everybody's equal under God. And then it goes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in response to the story of Jesus and all that it means for us as people to present your bodies, present your whole life, present your Monday to Sunday, your waking, your sleeping, your eating, your thinking, your coffee, your supermarket shopping and lawn mowing and kid looking after and disciplining. Present your marriage and your career. Present your recreation. Present it all to God, holy and acceptable, because this is your spiritual worship. Worship isn't just what we do when we sing songs. Worship is our life. And as we're presenting our lives to God as our worship, He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind, by renew, It's like, do not be conformed to this world is, is, is the imagery of there's outside forces trying to mold you into the shape that they want you to be. Instead, rather than be molded from the outside in, be molded from the inside out through the renewal of the mind that can come through the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And in that process, you'll learn to test and discern what God's will actually is. People's biggest question often is, What's God's will for my life? I'll stop being conformed and start being transformed from the inside out, and you'll start figuring out, men, how to test and discern what God's will for your life is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, when we're trying to figure out what God's will for our life is, what we really mean is, what should I do for a job? It's just like, what should I do in the future? That's a different question. That's what should I do for a job? God's will for your life is actually very clear in the Scripture. Follow Jesus. Become like Him through whatever it is you do in life. Use that as the training ground for it. It says that His his will for our lives is for us to be thankful in all circumstances. Let's just start living out the basics before we try to figure out the career sometimes. Anyway, what does that have to do with today? I think about almost eight years ago, I went on a trip with a bunch of friends to to Vietnam. I went on a motorcycle trip. Sounds super exciting except for the fact that I'm not good at riding motorcycles. In fact, I'd ridden a motorcycle twice in my life before I embarked on a 10-day off-country off sort of trail-riding trip with friends, I know, I'm a fool. The both two times that I'd ridden a motorcycle before I'd crashed, so I was, you know, sort of 0 from 2, uh, and, and here I am, we, we go and I figure I can learn on the job, you know, this is this young naivety, we call it courage. Uh, stupidity. Uh, And and so we go on this trip and uh, needless to say I didn't make it through 10 days. I didn't even make it through the second day before I'd fallen uh, down a a bank in the middle of nowhere and the bike had fallen on me and had lodged, dislodged my shoulder and I screamed like a little girl, no offence to little girls, and um, my friends hauled me out of there and I had the longest day of my life. I walked More than two hours in the heat with the leeches on me to the road with my arm sort of hanging down here out of its socket in a weird way and an excruciating pain. Then I had a four or five hour bumpy trip back to the hospital. Then I had a few credit card transactions later before they would agree to fix me. And uh, all up, I was about nine hours and I was ready for my life to end. Uh, I thought I'd make a horrible soldier, you know, I just got one little injury, I'm like, take me now, God, you know, like, call my kids, I'm not going to make it back, you know, (laughs) tell them I love them, but I just, I can't go on. And so I come back, and I get the scans, and, you know, we look at what's going on, and I do the rehab work as the pain starts, You know, just disappearing or healing, and you know, like anyone doing the rehab work that the physio does, I'd imagine. Maybe I'm the only one that's like this. I do that for about six days. Uh, You know, that's supposed to be a part of a three-month regime or something. I think, no, it's feeling pretty good now. Don't want to do those little exercises and those. Yeah, anyway. And so everything's fine until about three years later when I'm paddling into a wave in the surf, and uh, my shoulder just comes out again. And I'm like in pain and in the water and I'm trying to get my shoulder back in and afraid to move. And I, So I go to the physio the next day and it tells me to do the certain things and I do those for about six days. And then uh, everything's fine until two summers ago when I'm paddling into a wave again. But this time the surf was so good that I get the shoulder back in and I think I'm just going to keep surfing. <laughs> it's feeling good right now. The adrenaline's pumping. It was a really good day. And that was fine, except for the fact that that recovery took about three months, did the rehab work for about six days, and that was fine until it popped out again at the start of this summer. And the process repeats. And all of us have things in our past that have a habit of continuing to turn up in our present present. And if we don't do the serious work with what lies in our past, it will continue to happen time and time and time again. The reality is I have two options. One, I could actually do some proper rehab gym work and take the work seriously that needs to be done to stop the past continuing to turn up in the present. Or I have to go to hospital and let them do the surgery that is needed and have the long recovery to have it stop happening again. Either way, I have to do something if I want to stop it from happening. And all of us have things in our lives. We have stories in our lives. We have pain in our lives. We have habits in our lives. We have generational things that we have inherited in our lives that will continue to turn up They'll turn up in our relationships, they'll turn up in our marriages, they'll turn up in our careers, they'll turn up in our addictions, they'll turn up in our sins. Time and time again, unless we deal with them properly, we need to break the power of the past. The, the tough part is, is that when we come to Jesus, or when we come even to this moment with Jesus right now, maybe we're finally taking discipleship seriously. Maybe we're finally deciding we're not just going to attend church. We're actually going to be someone who lives for God seven days a week. We're we're going to not just become a Christian by name, but we're going to become an apprentice of Jesus. Take these things seriously. The problem is we don't arrive at those moments as blank sheets of paper or unmolded pieces of clay. We arrive at those moments already well formed by the world, well conformed. We have already, uh, we're people who already have pictures drawn on our paper or stories written. We've got responses that have become hardwired ways of reacting to the world. We've got defenses built. We've got habits of thinking. And we've got ways of living that are well ingrained. We're not talking about coming to Jesus with this lump of clay. We're like, we're already a type of pot. And so the process of discipleship needs to take into account that we don't come as blank sheets of paper, but we come with stories already written. We've already had ways we've learned to think. Even if you've grown up in a Christian home, it's likely that most of the ways you've learned to think are not informed by the scriptures or the spirit, but by the culture at large. We've already been loved or rejected. We've already experienced deep pain and betrayal. We know what it is to feel connection or or deep disconnection. We know safety and danger, and these have created in us all assumptions about the world. And the earlier these extreme cases of betrayal, or heard, or connection, or disconnection, the earlier these things are, the more formational they are, and probably the more subconscious they are to the way we assume everybody sees the world or relationships this way. We all have our family stories, not just our immediate family, or caregivers, or whatever our upbringing was, but we have our whole family history, we have the last 100 or 150 years, that is the three or four generations that is directly impacting us, whether we know the stories or not. We have the way that marriage has been done. We have the way that sexuality has been done. We've done the way that uh, uh, substances have been abused or used. We have cultural attitudes to work or to different things. We have all these dispositions from our generational history. Then we have our wider culture, we have our story at a larger scale. Wherever we grow up, whatever it is, it's telling us something. To grow up in, the, in America is very different to growing up in New Zealand. To grow up in different states of the U.S. is very different to growing up in South Africa. Even to grow up in New Zealand as a Pākehā person is very different to growing up as a Māori person. There are different cultural stories that are forming all of our assumptions. They're writing on our paper. They're forming our clay. And then we have our church histories, whether it's this church or another church that you've been a part of, especially for those people that grew up in church, whatever stream that church was a part of, it has all of its strengths and shadows that are already forming us. And, you know, we could sit here and argue about how much of it is nature and how much of it is nurture, but it doesn't really matter because it is. Uh, Hopefully we've got that quote there, team, and I think from Pete Scazzaro from the book, we'll throw that up, hopefully the first one there. God and his sovereignty. No, not that one, we'll go a different one. That's a good one, though, we'll use that later. Yeah, that one, fantastic. For this reason, one of the greatest tragedies in the church is the large numbers of people crippled by their pasts, unaware that their past impacts their present. They bury or minimize the family history the lives inside them uh, that lives inside them and settle for a constricted christian life in which they are stuck spiritually and emotionally but here's the thing guys it doesn't have to be that way god wants to work in us through the power of his holy spirit to see us transformed into the glorious image of his son and our lord and savior jesus christ god wants to see the parts of our past that are not of him, and they're not conducive to forming a person like him in us, broken off us, and the power of them stopped and severed, so that we can write the story with God in our lives that was intended to be written. And this process of breaking the power of our past, breaking the power of our culture, breaking the power of our lives, breaking the power of our sin, breaking the power of our family, this is both a deeply spiritual and a deeply practical exercise in our lives. I remember... Um, When I was a young Bible college student, I remember leading a Bible study one day with a a bunch. I was leading an adults Bible study in the church I was in. And I remember we were talking about, you know, how our different worldviews, you know, all of the things, all of the stuff I've been talking about that shapes the way we see the world. I was talking about how that might change the way we read particular scriptures. It might might shape how we see them and how we read them. And uh, God bless this lady. She was a lot older. She said, I don't have a world view. I just read the Bible as it is. And I have the right interpretation. Sadly, many of us, though we might not say it like the lady said it, many of us live as if we come to God as blank sheets of paper. We live as if all we have to do is learn things, not unlearn things. There are two big mistakes we can make in this breaking the power of our past journey. The first is that we can be ignorant to the fact that we've already been formed. We can, we can be like the lady, ignorant to the fact that we've already been formed. And we need to understand that discipleship is as much about unlearning as it is about learning. Often we think of discipleship as just adding. It's reading your Bible. It's praying. It's trying to be a nice person. It's giving. It's serving in church. It's trying to work out your purpose out there and contribute to society and have a positive impact on people. And, you know, we think of all of those things, but we forget that actually at its, at its root, it's actually about unlearning a way of living and learning a new way of living. Unlearning a way of reacting and learning a new way of responding. This is like the crux of the Sermon on the Mount, like Jesus' penultimate sermon. He's like, hey, when somebody slaps you, just turn the other cheek. It's like, unlearn the way you've learned to react, which is to punch them back, and learn a new way. Like when somebody actually curses you, bless them. Like unlearn the way where you get angry, and instead learn a new way of responding, where you're actually somebody that can bless them in response. And the second biggest mistake we can make is we can assume the way we've been formed honors God. We can assume the way we see the world. We can assume the way we vote. We can assume that our assumptions about culture and people and society and politics and work and money and relationships, we can assume that how we think is how God thinks. And that's why A huge part of that, by the renewing of your mind, says that you would be able to test and discern what God's will is. It's because it involves the Bible, involves the Scriptures, it involves God's Word and having our lives rewired to that if we're going to break the power of the past. You know, what I love about following Jesus is that the past has no right to determine the future. But sadly for many of us, it still does. It doesn't have to. With God, we can break the power of the past. But we don't do it by hiding it. We don't do it by ignoring it. We don't do it by pretending it's not there. We break the power of the past by having courage to face it, to repent of it, to forgive it, and to invite God's redemption and walk out a different path into our future. The process is deeply spiritual, and it's deeply practical. We need to be wary of those two extremes, the too spiritual and the too practical. Some in regards to this topic, when I said break the power of the past, you're thinking, let's have a prayer meeting. I mean, look at the graphic that the design team chose. No offense to the design team, uh, but, and I don't know if you can see that in Auckland online, we can throw it up there for a second, but it's break the power of the past. We chose a graphic where we're praying for somebody. This is like the, the, the spiritual extreme. Let's just pray it off them. Let's just pray the past off them. This is, oh, maybe, should I? Yeah, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> we can often just think, I just need a moment in God's presence. I just need that moment. I just need that feeling. I just need that prayer. I just need that breakthrough. I just need to come up for, and hey, everything's spiritual, We need prayer, everyone needs prayer, but to silver bullet breaking the past as if it's just going to happen in a Holy Spirit moment is to not understand the full process of discipleship. It's a part of, it's not the whole solution. It's an important, significant part of but it is not the whole solution. And equally, we've got those highly practical people where they think all we need is a few counseling sessions or a year in psychology. We can like, rewire this, reframe it, talk it out. And if we just do that, man, you'll be able to leave the past and go into the future. The problem is, is both extremes are wrong and because we don't see Jesus do either. We don't see him be like, hey, you just need this moment. We don't see him, hey, let's talk it out and we'll get there. In fact, we don't actually see Jesus talk about this a lot. We see Jesus invite us into a way of life that sees the power of the past constantly broken off us and a promise of a better future constantly emerge in our lives. We need to embrace the spiritual yes. Without God's help, without God's grace, there will be no moving forward. We all need prayer, and we need those prayer moments. Everything's spiritual, but not everything's demonic. There are certainly things in our past and our present that can create permission and hooks for the demonic to take a hold of their lives. There's no doubt uh, generational curses and things that can be at play in our lives, but sometimes there's just bad habits. Sometimes there's just a lack of discipline and accountability and intentionality. We need to embrace the practical. We need to embrace the counseling. We need to embrace the new habits. We need to embrace effort. You know, God's not opposed to effort, He's opposed to earning. He loves effort. God's all about effort. And we need to embrace those people in our lives that are skilled at helping us navigate our past like professionals, especially depending on what our past has in it, because they can help us find the origin of our pain or of our betrayal, or of our blocks that can help us move forward. I know working with our amazing recovery program, they, they often talk about how at the, at the root of most addiction is just some serious pain that is undealt with, some serious pain or some serious disconnection, or normally a bit of both. And so we need help getting to the source of that thing so we can break free of it. We need to help observing our thoughts and patterns and stories so we can break through of it. But here's what I want us to understand, church, is that breaking free from the past is not a place to arrive. It's a journey to be on. It's not like, hey, I'm going to commit to the next month. I'm going to be broken free of all of my past. It doesn't work like that. It is the process of discipleship is as we become aware of parts of our past that are that are conforming us rather than transforming us. We we embrace the right processes for breaking free from that thing. And God's so kind, he doesn't show us our whole past all at once. That would be overwhelming. It's just bit by bit. And often we don't even realize it. It's like you get married and all of a sudden you realize the way your parents either were or weren't married well is informing your ability to do marriage. And you you thought you were nothing like your dad, and then all of a sudden you realize, hold on a minute, I'm way more like him than I thought. And maybe I've got to learn a whole new way of being in these things. That's what marriage is confronting. Okay. (laughs) Amazing, but confronting. Being emotionally healthy disciples is about being people asking their questions about our assumptions, about our responses, about our reactions, about our conclusions, and asking, is this my past informing my now? You know, sometimes you react, you really like people or you really dislike certain people. You know how often it has nothing to do with that person? It has to do with somebody in your past that this person's reminding you of and you don't even realize that your past is informing the way you're treating this person or reacting to this person. This sort of stuff is happening all the time in our lives and we need to be on journeys to break the power of it. So how do we do that? Just a few things today is a big topic. You can listen to the podcast for more. One is we, it's all under the banner of this, going backwards to go forwards. The first thing we need to do is we need to acknowledge the blessings and sins of our family going back three or four generations and understand that it profoundly impacts who we are today. Whether you know the stories or not, it does. We can put that other Pete Scazzero quote up there, um, please, team. That'll be great. God, in his sovereignty, chose to birth us into a particular family, in a particular place, at a particular moment in history. It, uh, that choice offered us certain opportunities and gifts. At the same time, our families are also handed us other entrenched, unbiblical patterns of relating and living. In fact, Scripture and life teach us that that an intricate, complex relationship exists between the kind of person we are today and our past. Look, there are many stories I could tell about Our family's history that I can see can show up easily in my life today. But for the sake of honoring my family, I won't divulge all of the dirty laundry. But I can see blessings that for many generations on both sides of my family, our family have been very practical people. They've worked with their hands. They've known how to solve problems. They could see how things were connected and it might surprise you to know I'm pretty handy, okay? I don't just drink coffee all day. Um, sit in cafes. I know it looks like that. Um, but these, that's a blessing that's been handed down. But in the same way in my family history is also incredible marriage dysfunction. And I can see how that has been handed down from generation to generation. And if I just act like my family and don't break the power of that past, I'll be destined to repeat the same cycles. There are situations, there are traumas, there are rejections, there are addictions, there is divorce, there are uh, work addicts, workaholics, emotionally unavailable or withdrawn. These are all things that can happen in our family stories and they affect how we relate today. And so we need to acknowledge the blessings and the sins of our family story. You can uh, actually, you can go onto the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship website. And there's a great tool called a genogram where you can actually map out some of these family stories as a way. And if you're wondering what an exercise is you could do, that's something you could do this week to reflect on the blessings and sins that you've inherited in your family. You're not responsible for your family's sins, but you inherit the consequences and the patterns that they embed within our history. And and here's the thing like with my shoulder we need to be very wary when we're looking back into the past we need to be very wary of just looking for relief from symptoms and not actually treating the causes the deep causes that are inside of us often many of us we only deal with the past to the degree that it relieves the pain and then it keeps showing up and up and up rather than getting the root out of our lives The second thing we can do to go backwards, to go forwards is to recognize that you've been birthed into a new family, the family of Jesus. Might look just as dysfunctional as your old family, but it is a new family with a new identity. I spoke earlier in this year about our value for togetherness and talked about how the number one metaphor, there's over 90 metaphors for the church, but the number one one in the New Testament is that the church is the family of God. We have a new family. Romans 8, 14 says, those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship or daughtership. And by him, we cry. By right? Abba Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Family was so important to the ancient Jewish world that if you dishonored your mother and father, you could be punished publicly and communally. That's how important and sacred family was. And even in that culture, Jesus said this in Matthew 10, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. We've been brought into a new family. And we need to understand as we go backwards to go forwards that God's actually trying to form a new future with us that actually has our spiritual heritage from Him. New patterns, new ways of looking. The third thing we can do to go backwards, to go forwards, is we need to put off the sinful patterns of our family of origin and our culture and learn how to do life in and as the new family of Jesus. Jesus may live in your heart, but grandpa or grandma likely lives in your bones. And in our minds, it's likely our culture lives. Our individualistic, consumeristic, highly sexualized culture probably lives there. And so we actually have to do the hard work of discipleship, day in and day out, Holy Spirit empowered, habit changing, rethinking discipleship. We need to think about the big topics in life like money, conflict, sex, grief and loss, anger, family, relationships, success. Attitudes towards other cultures, feelings and emotions. These are the big topics. Those are 10 big topics in this life. And all of us would have been given a script by our family and by our culture about how we should think about that. Get more money, marriage, you know, whatever the script is. You know, good enough's good enough. As long as they're not leaving you, that's fine. Gender roles. We all are inheriting these scripts but we actually have to do the hard work of discipleship in the scripture, in the community of Jesus to go, what does God think about this? What does success mean to the scriptures? What does marriage mean to the scriptures? What do healthy relationships, what do careers, what place do these things, what do feelings and emotions, where do they fit? And we need to rework these things. And the last thing is this, is that we need to constantly believe in the journey that we can get a great future out of our past. That as much as it can be overwhelming talking about topics like this, is like, I thought I was a pretty good disciple before I came here, uh, before I realized I got way more in my past I need to pay attention to. But we need to understand it doesn't matter what the past is, that God wants to form a better future out of it. There's never a time in our lives where God doesn't want to redeem and reconcile and bring about out of our painful pasts out of our bad habits, out of our inherited ways of thinking, out of our sins, out of all of the stuff. There's never a time in our lives where God doesn't want to bring about something better and use it for good in our lives and the people around us lives. We you know, we need to take responsibility though. You may have been a victim, many people were, but if you keep playing the victim card, you'll never have a better future. If you keep blaming, you'll never have a better future. If you keep saying it's somebody else's fault, you'll never have a better future. As long as you are, are, are abdicating responsibility in your life, you will never have the better future that God wants. That's why when he says, come to me, he, he says, repent. He said, take ownership, change the way you think, realize the part you played, realize you know, your own sins and your own need of needing to break the past and move into the future. I love the story of Joseph. Joseph, there's a family history of, rela- of broken relationships. His great-great-grandfather, Abraham, he tried to bring about God's promises his own way by taking a second lady to have a child with. There's broken relationships. Then we go down to Isaac, uh, Abraham, Isaac. We go down to Isaac. Isaac had broken relationships. There was lying and cheating in marriage. There was all sorts of things going on. Then we go down to Jacob. And we get Jacob and Esau, his their brothers, they had broken relationships. And they didn't talk to each other for many decades. And then you get down to, of course, Jacob's sons, he has 12 sons. And of course, they have broken relationships. And Joseph, being the second to youngest, was despised by his brothers. So they sold him into slavery. They were operating in their family patterns. They didn't break the power of the past. But I love when they're reunited after many years after being sold into slavery. Joseph says this in Genesis 45 verse 8, So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all of his house and a ruler of all the land of Egypt. Isn't that interesting? He did get sent there by his brothers. He got sent into slavery, but Joseph owned the position he was in. And rather than, you know, being down on himself and blaming his brothers his whole life, he goes, well, God, you've got me here now. How can I do the best I can with where I am? And he rose to the top of Potiphar's house. And as he rose to the top of Potiphar's house, he was hard done by again, and he was tricked, and he was was thrown in prison. And rather than blaming God, rather than blaming Potiphar, rather than blaming Potiphar's wife, he just thought, "While I'm in prison. I better be the best prison inmate that there's ever been. And he rose to the top of the prison. And even though he was promised that he would be, you know, given an audience with the king, with Pharaoh, he never was. But rather than getting down on himself, he just continued to do the best he could with prison. And then one day he's taken all the way to the palace of Pharaoh. He's taken all the way there. And when he's finally reunited with his brothers, that started this whole story of effectively 20 years of an unfair life, it's very clear he's not holding on to the pain. It's very clear he's not holding a grudge. It's very clear that he's realized God has used this to bring about a better future. And so he says, it's not you who sent me here as God, I can see that God's working in it all now. And in Genesis 50 verse 20, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Walter Brueggemann says this, he's like the creative's theologian, if you're wanting someone to read. The evil plans of human folks do not defeat God's purpose. Instead, they unwittingly become ways in which God's plan is furthered. In our whole story, the evil agendas of this world are trying to rob us of the God-glorious future, of a life of peace, of a life of love, of a life of joy, of a life of rich relationships and rich purpose. And they've been operating for generations and for centuries and for millennia. And so we don't come as blank sheets of paper. We come well written. And we need to break the power of those things in the past so we can actually see the story that God wants to write. And here's the thing, he doesn't scratch it all out. He actually somehow transforms that story into a rich, beautiful, purposeful story. A lot of our purpose will come out of our pain. A lot of our future will come out of our past. A lot of our biggest ministry impact will come out of how God has healed and, and done a work in us through our past. That's how we'll be able to well-serve people in the future. I grew up um, in your typical Pākehā family, I think. Blue-collar, hard-working, Nice people, but man, our family was a bit racist. Probably like a lot of families, we had assumptions, especially in our context, about Maori people, about the treaty, about our country. I listened to political conversations between my uncles and my grandparents, and and I, you know, I adopted a way of thinking from my past, from all of those things, and. I remember when I was at Intermediate having to write a one-page sort of essay about the treaty and I remember effectively taking all those things I'd heard around the dinner table or over the beers over the years and putting them on paper as a 12-year-old and I remember my Rarotongan teacher being less than impressed and hugely challenging the assumptions that I'd made about the world, that I'd inherited about the world didn't change my perspective, just further ingrained me. It wouldn't be until many years later when I'd actually come to terms in a time of prayer to realize, hey, that way of seeing, that's not of God. That's not the way Jesus sees the world. That's not the way Jesus talks about people. And the work of undoing the past and writing something better, hopefully, means that in the future, when Katie and I are in prayer and going back more than two years, God could speak and say, hey, you know that land and building you have over in Tauranga? As a part of the reconciliation of people in this land, I think you should give that back to the local iwi, to the hapū. But God would have never been able to bring about that future And all of the stories, even as we're in the process of still working that out, God would have never been able to bring about that future if there wasn't a breaking from the past. I can't tell you how many emails, how many messages, how many people that are in work meetings up and down the country going, I was in a meeting the other day and they were talking about what this church in Todong is doing. I can't tell you there's been so many people that have gone, I've never been able to give my life to Jesus, but when I watch this story... I realized, oh, he can be trusted. He's at work. And people have been giving their life to Jesus just by hearing the story. And so, but in all of us, what in our past, if we actually broke the power of it, could allow God to bring about a better future? If only we just stay committed to the journey.